Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And Gavin, we have a fun episode today. The return of mailbags to Locked On Knicks. What are we getting into in this first part of our August mailbag? Yeah, it's been it's been a while, Alex. I'm excited to get back into it. First, we are predicting where Frank Nilakina suits up next season, assuming he does end up on an NBA team. Then we're talking about which former Nick we would want to mentor the current young stars on the team. And then this is a tough one to end on, Alex. I'm I'm, I'm surprised we're we're wrapping up with this on on this big, big point. If we had to pick between Carmelo Anthony or Julius Randle for an all-time Knicks lineup, who would it be and why? So all that and more on this loaded mailbag edition, feels good to say that again, of Locked on Knicks coming up right now. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play man getting ready for high school football season right now and we are talking mailbag today as we said in the intro it's been a little while i think it's mostly because we were doing we were doing the green room shows for the longest time and those were going really well but i probably shouldn't have even said that company's name because they're not sponsoring us anymore that's why we stopped doing those <laughs> they were we, we were kind of like explicitly told like you know if if they're sponsoring us we want to do these often if not then we're not going to do them as much so it's good to hear from you guys again after taking a little time off since that that green room deal ended about a month ago, uh, so we're getting into the traditional written mailbag style pod today. Gavin, our first question comes from Argentum Spectrum at Argentum Spectra One, and Argentum asks, "Who do you think Nick's legend Frank Nilakina suits up for next year?" I can't say that I won't root for Frank against the team that failed him when they square off. Um. I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Do you have a Do you have a team that jumps out to you that you think Frank might end up signing with? Yeah, I've I've long said the Golden State Warriors, and I think that became a little more realistic with the news yesterday that Nico Mannion is going over to play in Italy this year. So that theoretically opens up a roster spot. I don't know. Man- Mannion might have been destined for the G League, anyways. I know the Warriors have a number of contracts. I know they're still talking to Paul Millsap, but man, I've long thought he would be the p- picture perfect fit for that team to the point that I'm I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't already happened, but just imagine you, you slot him in with Steph Curry, with Clay Thompson, with Draymond Green, I guess James Wiseman at the five if he's if he's ready for it. That is just a, a dynamite defensive lineup. And with Steph and Clay, you're always going to have enough offense. I, I get that the fear from some people would be, all right, well, you don't you don't want people sitting off of Wiseman and sitting off of Draymond and sitting off of Frank. But the 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 correction on that is you can't sit off of Draymond because of how smart he is with those little dribble handoffs to Steph, it's going to lead to Steph getting a wide open three. Um, and you can't really sit off Frank because as we talked about, he was, he was literally one of the best corner three-point shooters 
in the entire NBA last year and has just turned himself into a flat-out plus shooter. I mean, I, I know he had the air ball against Team USA, but he also had a huge three against Team USA, which I was ecstatic to see. I will stick by it forever. He can absolutely contribute to a contender. And I think that Warriors team would be perfect for him, not just in, in obviously the shooting gravity would really open up the floor and allow his reads to be a little bit easier. Mustafi obviously wouldn't have the pressure of being the primary ball handler. I just think the collective joy that they play with and I, I know maybe there's some questions about the environment after that Draymond and KD segment sort of blasting Steve Kerr and Bob Myers. But overall, it just seems like a very positive environment. I feel like Steve Kerr is sort of the right personality to just get Frank Psyche back on track. Um, I, I, I just think it all adds up to being a picture-perfect spot for him. If I were him, I would be telling my agent, do, do everything possible to get me to Golden State. I don't care if we have to sign for the minimum and lock in multiple years. I, I just want to get there and prove that I'm an NBA basketball player. So I have one that almost feels cliche, but I, I think that if I was Frank, I would want to go to the Spurs. Um, you know, he would get first off a a sterling recommendation from two of his countrymen that have played there. Uh, Boris Diaw and Tony Parker both played there and had, you know, great careers and, you know, arguably resurrected Diaw's career uh, in San Antonio. So I, I would probably say you know, that would be the spot. And I think that would be, you know, Golden State would be cool, but I think there's a really, really good chance that he wouldn't find playing time there. Um, sort of similar to with the Knicks last year, where it would just be like, there's too much talent in front of him. San Antonio for the first time, truly like for the first time in like forever, is doing like a full rebuild. Um, so, you know, or as close to it as you can get for San Antonio. And so I think that there would actually be real chances for him to, you know, find minutes there to be developed, to have pop be patient with him, uh, help him along, but also, you know, give him opportunities to go out there and fail and, you know, learn from it and get better. So I think, I think the Spurs would be the place that I would want to go if I was Frank for both playing time perspective, for their reputation of being such a welcome environment for international players and, that style of ball um, where, you know, we even, there was all the rumblings, despite the fact they wound up getting the gold medal eventually when team USA was struggling initially, there was all those rumblings out there of like, Oh, all the team USA players don't like the pop style of basketball. Uh, pop coaches are very European style of basketball. And so I think that Frank would be comfortable there uh, in, in that system where it's all predicated on, you know, sharing the ball, finding good shots, that sort of thing. And, and not really having, or requiring like a superstar to, to put a good product on the floor. I think, I think Frank would thrive pretty well there. That said, I'm also not, I mean, tell me if I'm crazy with this, Gavin, I'm not totally ruling out that he comes back to the Knicks. If we're being honest, like, I think there's a, there's a chance. I'm not going to say it's like super likely, but Vildoza's deal is not guaranteed. Um, I think they can unguarantee it all the way up. I, at least two training camp, but maybe through training camp. I think, I think he could get like halfway through training camp and they could say, yeah, sorry, we're cutting bait and, you know, just kick him to the curb and sign someone like Frank back for like the minimum. Or uh, if Kevin Knox, you know, gets traded to some team for like a second round pick or something like that, which I, I mean, I don't know for sure how they feel about Kevin Knox, but it seemed like based off last year, Tibbs certainly is not sold on him. I don't really see too too many opportunities for him to crack the rotation at this point. 
granted, you can kind of say the same thing about Frank. So I, he, he might still be coming back to the Knicks to basically ride the pine, but I think there's an okay chance that he maybe comes back on like a minimum contract if nobody else comes knocking uh, and the Knicks decide, okay, we'd rather have him over like Luca Vildoza or something like that. So I, I guess we'll see. But uh, I, I don't know. Am I crazy for thinking that there's there's still a chance that he could potentially come back? Yeah, so I guess I, guess I was going to ask you. Um, my, my only hesitation on that would be why hasn't it happened already if it were going to happen? But but to your point, maybe it's that Frank is, is really scoping things out and seeing like, all right, is there a contender Who'd want to take a chance on me, or, or another situation where I'd potentially get to play more? And I'm—I don't know. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm a little. It, it's so funny because I know there, there are people listening to this and cackling, being like, "Yeah, well, why are you so confused? He sucks." Um, but I—I really—I'm genuinely surprised that that there's no team that wanted to offer minimum um, or or training camp invite, or it's possible that that he has gotten like those types of offers or like a two-way offer, and he's waiting for something better or parsing out his options in Europe and deciding which one he's going to do. I, I ultimately think it's it's pretty unlikely he comes back to the Knicks just because I think he knows at this point, like, there's no there's no upwards trajectory from him here. There's no room for him to grow, especially with the Knicks adding Miles McBride, I, I think essentially sealed his fate, but you never know. I, I would say, I, I would take the field over the Knicks, certainly, but I, th- I guess the Knicks are about as likely as any other team. Yeah, I, I, uh, I guess you could say, Leading up to training camp, we're going to be sweating this one out as far as whether Frank comes back to the Knicks or not. That was good. And that reminds okay. me, <laughs> good good segue, right? That reminds me, today's episode is brought to you by Sweatblock. And let me tell you guys a little story about something that I'm going to be doing like 24 hours from now, actually tonight. Uh, I'm going to be applying some Sweatblock tonight. I have a friend's wedding that I'm going to be in tomorrow. And of course, with that comes standing outside in a full suit in, you know, 90 degree heat to take wedding pictures for probably at least a couple hours. And that means sweating like crazy if you're me and you don't like the warm weather like that. And I certainly don't like the warm weather. So that is going to be me under normal circumstances. I would be sweating. However, I'm going to be using sweat block. I'm going to apply some tonight. It's super easy to use their wipes. You just dab them onto your body and then sleep on it overnight and then wash off the excess in the morning and your body is like guaranteed to be sweat free. These wipes from Sweatblock are doctor created, doctor recommended. They work for up to seven days per use and they come with the dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. So, I mean, that's as strong of a guarantee as you can get. And they've been featured and tested on the Rachel Ray show by firefighters who are literally in you know, hundreds to thousands of degree heat. And they're the best seller on Amazon for the past 10 years with over 13,000 reviews and manufactured in the USA. And with Sweatblock, you can wear what you want to wear. They could be your little secret to confidence. In my case, it will be my little secret to not looking like a sweaty animal during my friend's uh, wedding pictures that he and his wife are going to cherish for years. So, you know, I, sweat block is going to save the day for them and for me <laughs> tomorrow when I do this wedding. If you want to get some sweat block wipes for yourself, head to sweatblock.com and get it today for 20% off with promo code locked on. Or if you're more comfortable, you can just head to Amazon or CVS to pick some wipes up for yourself today. And today's episode is also brought to you by one of our all-time favorites, Bet Online. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. 
Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus courtesy of our promo code LOCKEDON. That's all one word, LOCKEDON. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo as well. You make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. That's the number 100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sports book experts. And with that, we are back into the mailbag. Second question comes from one of our all time favorites, Ignacio at Ignacio Lo Brigat. Long time no ask if you guys could have a former Nick player to mentor each of the young guys, basically Julius and everyone younger, who would you choose and why? Uh, Alex, I'll, I'll throw this over to you first. Maybe we just go back and forth on guys. Um, who, who's the who's the first person you thought of? Was there one that just really clicked in your mind and you were like, oh yeah, this this would be sort of perfect? Um, I'm trying to think. Like uh, The first guy that I would think would be RJ, right? Like I think that that's... Uh, he's the one that you want to most prioritize with this team. Um, if whew, I'm trying to think it's tough because it's like, what skill do you want RJ to work on the most? And then it's, you know, we're looking at Knicks of, of past. Uh, I'm thinking Spreewell. Um, and, and I think for the reason of like, I, I don't necessarily know that RJ is quite as explosive as Spreewell was, though. I think that Spreewell was more, willing to kind of throw his body out there and, you know, like put himself in danger, so to speak with his, his antics sometimes, uh, which I think RJ plays a more careful brand of basketball, which is smart. I mean, I don't fault RJ for that at all, but I think, you know, I think that Spree provides an interesting template for a guy that was a super strong wing that, you know, could pretty much get whatever he wanted when he was, when he was on, you know, like when he was on, he could just get inside at will and, you know, finish inside, draw fouls, whatever. I, I think that would be what I would be looking for for RJ. And, you know, also to just get to that level of like ball handling competence too, um, where, you know, you don't have to be like RJ doesn't have to develop into like Chris Paul or something with the ball in his hands or like Kyrie Irving or, you know, one of these like fantastic, you know, dribbler ball handlers. But I think Spree is a good sort of benchmark for him as far as, you know, utilizing the athleticism that he has utilizing his strength that he has and just like a, a developmental benchmark to kind of look for as far as like uh where to hit with ball handling and pull up shooting and that sort of thing so yeah i think i would go spree well for for rj i don't know if you feel like maybe we could just bounce back and forth on other guys but considering how important rj is do you have anyone different that comes to mind yeah i actually had carmelo anthony and i i don't want him to develop necessarily Melo's mindset but I, I think historically, Melo's footwork and just overall like the amazing smoothness of his mid-range game gets a little bit underrated. And honestly, it, it, it's kind of analogous to Chris Paul, but at, at the forward spot, I, I just can't think of someone who had Melo's same mid-range game. Sort of Kobe is, is maybe the, the closest thing, and, and KD now a little bit. But I, I really think RJ, if he could learn just Melo's series of jab steps to get a shot um, basically from a standstill, 
that's not something that you want to be the centerpiece of your offense, because we saw with Melo, who's probably one of the better guys ever at that. It's still, it's not exceptionally efficient. Um, but as a late shot clock option and, and sort of in the process of RJ expanding his bag, which is what we've seen from him every single offseason with Drew Hanlon, where he tries to add a new skill. I would like that to be on the docket for one year. I, I think the, the bigger issue at the moment is is the finishing inside. And maybe maybe someone like Bernard King would have been a good option there. But I almost I almost couldn't really think of like I, I don't think the Knicks have historically had like a dominant like get to the rim kind of forward. I guess I guess maybe that, that's sort of the point of your spiral argument. He, he might be the best example of that. But eventually, I would like him to expand his mid-range game, which is already good, but it mostly requires a screen to get into. So if he could start getting those shots out of isolation, uh, that would be pretty intriguing to me. Uh, the next guys I had up, I'll, I'll throw I'll throw two at you because I, I cheated a little bit. And I, I picked two guys for each of the Knicks' uh, young point guards, being Emmanuel Quickly and Miles McBride. So for Emmanuel Quickly, I had Jason Kidd, just because I, I'd love for him to develop that real point guard mindset and we we've, we saw his passing talent he can throw some insane passes as we got in preseason but I don't know if he's the best at at what I sort of described from from what I saw from him in summer league which is manipulating a defense into the passes that he wants kid is an is an all-time great in that respect um and I think he could do wonders for IQ in that and, and maybe just sort of emphasize uh continuing to get stronger because that was that was I think a big part of kid's game and then the other guy I thought of for IQ was Earl Monroe, just because I'd, I'd like for him to have some of those like crazy finishes in his bag. And I, I just think because of IQ's size and, and relative lack of athleticism around the basket, he, he almost, I, I like, look, he's not going to be Kyrie Irving. He's not going to be Earl Monroe, but he has to have some of those like really like absurd, like double clutch, tricky, in, insane amount of touch um, or, around the hoop um, to really be a threat at the basket. So that would be fascinating. And then for Miles McBride, a- again, to offensively, I had Stefan Marbury just because I want him to figure out his footwork and, and pacing and, and, and change of speed and handle. And, and the thing is he has a solid handle. It just sort of feels like he doesn't fully know how to maximize it yet. And I think, um, oh, look, Marbury was just a spectacular athlete and and just just a flat out, I mean, Miles McBride definitely has some talent on offense. Marbury was an insane offensive talent. I remember when I was younger, I'd always cite this stat that he was one of the, for, for most of his career, like one of like four players all time to ever average 20 points and eight assists a game for his entire career. I think Marbury sort of gets underrated historically, but um, without some, what, what I presume was off the court stuff, I, I think he had a chance to have a Hall of Fame career. He was really, really good. And I would, I'd be interested to see him work with McBride and maybe, uh, allow him to figure out just his his steps around the basket and, and just to have a little bit more confidence and, and intuition on the offensive end in, in, in terms of utilizing his handle to get all the way to the rim. Because I, I think, and a lot of people seem to agree on this, the athletic traits are there for him to be that kind of guy. He just, he, he sort of just needs the right coaching. Um, and then the other one I had was Clyde, just because McBride is already such a savant defensively and so aggressive. But I would love, I would love Clyde to just teach him some of those those old school tricks, those little bits of footwork that could just take him up an even greater level and maybe allow him to compensate against bigger guys. But Alex, I, th- I threw out a lot. So I don't, I don't know if you have any extras for IQ or McBride or, or if you agree with the ones I mentioned. I was actually going to slide Steph and Clyde over to quickly <laughs> and say that I think that they would be good mentors for him to just kind of help him become more of a point guard, uh, which was sort of your point with the kid thing. But I just think that the 
Nick's version of Kit at that point was more of like a like a combo guard. Um, and if we're doing this like these exercises usually go, where it's the Knicks version of a given player. Granted, he was one year away from coaching at that point, but also he's a questionable coach. <laughs> who I, I, I guess I we'll consider see. that yeah, my answer. Yeah, I guess we'll see how it goes this year with Dallas with Doncic and everything. But um, at any rate, like I think I, I think Starberry at. Starberry is another one of those guys too. After watching like the mouse at the palace doc, I, I feel like there needs to be a documentary that examines, and maybe there already is one. I've just missed it. That examines Marbury's like fall from grace in the NBA and how much differently it would have been handled in like today with what we know about mental health and everything where like Starberry's kind of come out like candidly and been like, yeah, I was, I was really going through some issues then. And you know, like it was just a little too much for me in the NBA. And he really found peace once he went to China and was sort of unburdened with that, with those expectations and everything. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's like a whole nother podcast. But yeah, I, I like them for quickly. I was actually going to say John Starks for McBride, um, just in the sense of like Starks wasn't the biggest guy, um, but, you know, was a hard nosed defender and developed a pretty, pretty diverse offensive game on top of being a good uh, three point shooter. Plus was just like a bulldog type of player that goes out there and just like beats the crap out of his opponents. So I see that for McBride in the future, hopefully. And uh, so that's, you know, I think that would be a good mentor for him in the interest of keeping things moving. Although I, this isn't really a cop out. I do have one single um, mentor for two different guys for Sims and Mitch. My choice would be Marcus Camby. Uh, and I guess it's really showing like what my first favorite Knicks team was in some of my choices here. But uh, I think that can be, you know, he came out of college. He was a mega freak athlete, um, but he he honed in his game over the years to turn into a guy who had a really long and productive NBA career by just working on the little things and, you know, timing, footwork, everything else. And, and you know, was able to his career was able to outlive his elite athleticism, basically. Um, so I think that he would be a good mentor to sort of like how Taj is, you know, to be fair, like the Knicks already kind of have a guy like this on the roster. But, uh, you know, I think that he's he's more in the mold or was more in the mold in his younger years of what Mitch is now uh, and kind of similar to Sims as well, where like just Sims is a more raw version. But both Mitch and Sims in different ways are like super freak athletes that could in theory pretty much do anything in the NBA at the center position if they're coached properly. So I think Camby would be a good fit as a mentor for both those guys based off their, their profiles in the league right now. Yeah. I think I was going the same direction where, where I had uh, Tyson Chandler, who was basically the Marcus Camby of my youth. And uh, yeah, I was just, I, I mean, Marcus Camby was also the Marcus Camby of my youth because he was, he was on that 2009 team also, if, if not quite at the same point in his career. But yeah, I would, I would just love like Tyson's positioning and just the fact that he's he's an all-time teammate. I mean, I got to like not not a whole lot, but but interview him a couple of times when I was in Phoenix, and e- even watching him work with Devin Booker, who obviously wasn't wasn't the same positionally, but just just the notes he would give, and like clearly the respect that he had throughout that locker room, and, and the respect that he had throughout the Knicks locker room when he was when he was on the Knicks. Um, I I think he would be pretty ideal for both those guys. I also just just uh, just because I feel like he needs to be mentioned here. I, I threw in Patrick Ewing because I, I do think with Mitch with his improved size, like obviously the Knicks are never going to run the offense through the post, but for Mitch to to just develop like a little bit of a little bit of a dr- uh, a jump hook, like maybe uh, 
if it, like I, I don't know if he has uh Embiid coordination but if he could if he could ever get like a little dream shakedown or something it, it would be it'd be fascinating to see Mitch with his athleticism I just feel like he came to basketball so late it, it feels like I, I guess the same is true for Embiid but Embiid just feels like a generational freak in this respect it, it would be it would be so cool to see Mitch like have a have have a bag in the post and have moves and counter moves and it just it doesn't feel like that's going to happen or if it does maybe it'll be something that happens later in his career but it would just be be fascinating to see him develop that all right i'm trying to i'm trying to think of who we have left oh yeah uh, obi and grimes i'd say the last two i honestly i have two answers for those two that i don't even think really require explanation yeah so i'll just give them and then let you react if you want but are you gonna say amari stoudemire for obi amari stoudemire for obi alan houston for grimes that's it those are my two answers. Like yeah. I think that those make the most sense for both those guys. No, I I, I had the same thing. I, and also Reggie Bullock for Quentin Grimes because Alan Houston and Reggie Bullock are both already mentoring Quentin Grimes, so it works out perfectly. Uh, last one, very quickly for Kevin Knox, I had Lance Thomas because he peaked when uh, Lance Thomas was his mentor as a rookie. And since Lance <laughs> Thomas hasn't been on the team, it's all gone horribly wrong for Kevin Knox. It ha- it has to be Lance Thomas. Who knew Lance Thomas was the key all along? And if you're looking to repair your car, wow, look at me with my segues today. The key is rockauto.com. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. And if you've ever gone to fix your car and gone to the, one of those brick and mortar auto parts stores, you know how annoying it can be. Guy behind the counter is trying to sell you the part that's going to make him the most money. And it's going to take a few days to get to their store. You're going to have to go back to their store to pick it up. And it's just a huge pain in the butt and not worth your time when you have rockauto.com on your phone, in your pocket, or at home on your computer or your tablet. Wherever you do your interneting, you can order parts off rockauto.com, and it is super duper easy. Uh, You could save up to 30%, 50%, or even 100% more uh or or you can you wouldn't you wouldn't want to pay 30 50 or 100 percent more for parts off of other places than rock auto you could save sometimes half of what it costs in other places by using rock auto is what i should say there their prices are reliably low for every customer they don't charge you more than they would charge a mechanic or anybody else going to the site everybody just gets the bottom dollar prices i bet you there are mechanics that even though they get the mechanics rates at those brick and mortar stores, still go on Rock Auto because the prices are so low. For example, if you want to get a fuel pump for a Honda Odyssey, that's going to run you $353 from a chain store and just $216 from rockauto.com. So if you want to check out what's available to your for your car or truck, go to rockauto.com right now and check it out. And if you buy something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, and we're back for our final question of this first part of the mailbag. And we have a question here from Victor A. Diaz at Heist Zero on Twitter. If you had to pick between Mello or Julius for an all-time Knicks lineup, who and why? Gavin, I'll throw that to you first. This is not an easy question. Oh, wow. Thanks, buddy. Um, I guess it depends on who else is in the lineup, too, right? Like, I was going to say, what what kind of team are you trying to build? So can we settle in on, like, it's probably going to be, like, Clyde at the point guard, Ewing at center for sure. Uh, Can I I just clarify what we think? Do we think the question is build the best possible team of Knicks players or just who's the best guy at each position? Because those are are two 
different questions in my mind, I guess. I am assuming that this probably means that you have four of the all-time best Knicks in place already, and you're picking either Mello or Julius for the four spot. Yeah, because I guess, because the question, are you putting Bernard King there, or are you putting Dave DeBuscher there? Because you got to think, like, who the replacements are at each spot, right? I guess maybe we could say, we could leave that as a flex, depending on who you pick. Like, if you want to consider Mello a three and go with DeBuscher at the four yeah, kind of thing, or if you want to consider... You know, like Randall a four and then put King at the three, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I guess there's, you know, you you could play it that way, I guess. But I think we could probably lock in like Clyde at the one, Monroe at the two and Ewing at the five, I think, without too much issue. Yeah, I'm with right. Or or even say Houston at the two. I don't know, like fully healthy Houston at the two, I guess, or something like that. How's McBride at the two? (laughs) Yeah. Frank, Frank Nilakina at the two. <laughs> we really want to infuriate um, people. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so I, yeah, I, I guess we'll use we'll say it that way. But assuming that your cornerstones of that lineup are are Clyde and Ewing, I think because you can't make an all time Knicks team without those two in there. Yeah. All right. So I think I would say I would I'm, I'm hedging my bets here, but I would say the version or the best version of Carmelo Anthony on, on the team, 2012 Mello was better than Julius Randle was last season. And I I say that with the qualifier that during the season, I, I think I said repeatedly that, that there's a really good case that this version of Julius is better than anything we ever saw from Melo because of the two-way play, because of the passing, because of the rebounding, uh, because the shooting was, was frankly about as good as Melo ever shot it from three. Um, but I think the playoffs revealed that Julius, with, with again, a, a very specific scheme that was made possible by the Knicks' weaknesses in other spots, but it was proved that Julius could be pretty much shut down in, in a playoffs. And again, it was his first postseason, but that was the whole thing with Melo is the 2012 version, even when the rest of the Knicks really struggled, Melo, maybe this is revisionist history and I have to go back and look and like he, he sucked, but if, if my memory serves, he was still, he's still pretty amazing for, for the majority of those playoffs, even if he had some really bad games over the course of it. And, and you, you ultimately just could not stop him from piling up points. So I would say Mello is the better player just because he ultimately didn't have that, that weakness. Um, but I think Julius is probably the better fit on a super team just because he's not going to hijack the offense. And, and the counterpoint in the argument for Mello is the Knicks' history is largely of their all-time best players being defensive first guys. And, and look, obviously, but Clyde had a transcendent game seven but if you were translating him to a modern game I don't I don't think he would be like your quintessential like dominant score first uh point guard and maybe someone with it with a better grasp of NBA history could could correct me on that but th- there's a case to be made like look if you're just looking at the 70s Knicks and saying that's the best version of them Melo would be the perfect guy to put it on that team and, and it, w- it would almost be analogous to if Melo had been drafted by the Pistons and you slotted him in for Tayshaun Prince and you're saying we got all this defending, ball handling, shooting, basketball IQ. That allows Melo to just go out and be Melo. And he doesn't have to worry about all that other stuff, all, all the things that we've, we've knocked him on throughout his career, like the lack of defense, the, the lack of playmaking, the lack of like headiness at different points. He could just go out there and score. He could be essentially, I think that was the brilliance of Olympic Melo, was that he could go out there and be that guy because he didn't have to worry about all the tertiary parts of the game. So you could build that kind of team. But I think if you're just looking into 